I'm back. <laughs> How are you? All right, fired up, ready to go? Good. Um, I'm R.D., I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and happy Father's Day weekend to all of you. It's my uh, first Father's Day celebrating it, and uh, in honor of that, thank you. I know, it was all me, it was all me. Look what I have done, yeah. The cry of the secular man. Okay, um, picture the girls. All right, let's pray. Uh, yeah, we called the kind of white hat, we just called the girls uh, Bug, and so we actually got Bug outfits for them, and of course we don't say it like an adult says it, we say, little Bug, big, you know, you just talk to kids like, if you talk to an adult that way, it'd be really creepy and weird, but kids, somehow, that's what they love, even though they can't tell you. So Camille is on the left, big Bug, and Maisie's on the right, little Bug, and uh, they're five and a half months going on 13, and already <laughs> the wardrobe changes and all of Anyway, it's, uh, it's, good to, uh, it's good to be a father. It's better to have a heavenly father, right, who loves us and cares for us and calls us his children, right, and adopts us into his family. And then the, being a father is just a shadow of the substance that is found in God. And it's a stewardship that uh, God gives to some of us. And uh, it's a blessing, and it's really hard, and, uh, but it's all for God's glory and our good. Um. When I was in high school, I was a good student, uh, fairly good academically, uh, probably even a little bit better, I think, just in terms of morally or at least getting caught or not getting caught by anybody at the school. And uh, I didn't ride with a super rough or crazy crowd. It just wasn't my story. I was pretty normal, you know, Baptist youth group kid. But every once in a while, you know, I would do things over the course of my time in high school. And I hope that the assistant principals, you know, never found out because they're always roaming the halls, like just looking for someone to bust. You know, that's kind of what their job is. And um, I remember my senior year of high school, I had never been in the assistant principal's office. You know, I'd been a clean sheet, all good stuff. And um, I got a note my senior year, uh, probably a month before graduation. I was a class officer. And I got a note in the class, and it said, the assistant principal wants to see you. And my first thought was, oh, I'm a condemned man. Like it is. I had been finally, finally, all, I just, my mind went to everything I'd ever done in high school, which nothing super bad, but the accumulation of different things, I thought that they'd find out about that. And I thought no one talked about that. And then this, you know, you just think it's this last thing. I'm not going to be able to graduate and it's, I'm going to be in trouble and my mom is going to kill me and then I'm going to see Jesus. So that's actually probably okay. And, <laughs> you know, I won't be alive, but I'll be in God's presence. And so you're just thinking all, the, like, all these things and my heart starts to beat really fast, right? It's not, it is restless. It's very restless. And just imagining everything because your mind is, for me at least, my mind didn't go to everything that could possibly be good about it. It was like this I feel guilty. Something is going to come up. And so you get, I'm just thinking about all these things. He calls me to the office. I'm in the office. And, um, <laughs> and then, of course, he's not there, you know, making me sweat it out. Of course, when I'm thinking, like, okay, he's going to make me sweat. Make me sweat it out. Okay, I can do it. Okay, I can manage this, even though my heart's like. And uh, so he walks in. He's like, hey, RG. And I'm like, okay, he seems happy. seems nice. Okay, this could go well, maybe. I don't know. Or the shoe's about to drop. And he goes, hey, just want to talk to you about kind of the graduation banquet that you guys are planning. Have a few thoughts on it. And I'm like, yes, that, that is what I want to talk to you about as well. Thank you. Thank, that is it. Let us only talk about that and then be on my way. And we end up talking about that, and it was actually really good. And I left, and I was like, why, why did I get so worked up? Like this fear when I got called to the office, you know, and I thought, okay, it's going to go bad probably, right, because he's probably found out. 
but already had it. It ended up being a good conversation. Okay, why do I tell you that story? Not so that you just know about my high school, right? Uh, but by way of saying this, if God himself, which he will, but right now, let's imagine that God himself drops you a note and calls you into his office, into his throne room, how would your heart feel? Restless, <laughs> worried, <laughs> right? How, how, how do you feel right now, actually? Because it's not just like a hypothetical, it will happen, actually. <laughs> and actually, God calls us into his presence all the time through prayer to sit before him and stand before him and actually be in his presence. How does your heart feel? Does your heart feel guilty? Does it feel condemned? Does it feel worried? Does it feel like, have I done enough? Or does your heart feel okay? And why does it feel okay? Because you're a good person, because you helped out some people one time, because you're moral and ethical, or maybe because you actually believe in Jesus. You know, why? Pastor John, in 1 John chapter 3, is going to write uh, one of my, what has become one of my favorite verses. He's going to write a verse, he's going to write a passage that talks about our hearts being put at rest in the presence of God. How does that happen? How can we be people who don't have restless hearts when God calls us to his throne room, when God calls us to be in his presence? How can we have hearts at rest? How can we have peace before a holy God, even though we know all the ways that we fall short? So 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 through 22. 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 through 22. I thought about doing 11 through 24, and then I thought you'd be here for two hours. We don't want that. So then I was going to do five verses, and I thought, I can't get that down. There's just, there's so much here. When you start to get into the text, it's amazing how many things pop up. So we're just going to do three verses. We're going to start in verse 19. I'm going to read the section, and then we'll just chat about it a little bit. This is how we know that we belong to the truth. And here it is. And how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. John is saying that what he wants for his church, what I want for you, what God wants for you, is to set your heart at rest in the presence of God. Right, this, this word in the Greek to kind of set at rest is this idea of, of being pacified, of being calmed in his presence. So I think of, you know, if you have kids or no kids, that sometimes they can get angry. And our twin girls are very vocal. They have very loud lungs. And they're very passionate, letting you know that they have needs just 24-7. So not that much, but, you know, just all the time. And so when they have this, we give them the soothie and the pacifier, you know, which is amazing. And it... it pacifies them, right? They're angry. They're crying. You give them the pacifier. It soothes them. And they go from being restless and angry and all this kind of stuff. And it's like amazing when they get it in and they actually take it in, they have rest, right? They have some peace. And this is what John's saying. He's saying, you go from all the craziness, all the rushing around, all this stuff. And yet what I want to do, right, is to put your heart at rest before God and for it not to be restless. And yet what John says is that it's not just natural, right? He says, we have to set our heart at rest, Okay, that we have to do something to put it at rest. It's not naturally at rest before God. We don't come into the presence of God and just think I'm naturally at rest, I'm fine, I'm good. Right, though often so many cards at Christian bookstores, okay, I'm going to do a little railing here, bear with me. Uh, they have this, um, you know, the card is nice and has pastels and is warm and Jesus is by the fire and you're just nuzzled up to him and you're near to him and you're in his presence and everything is good and there's chestnuts roasting on the fire, you know, and it's just like, this is, this is what it means to be in the presence and to be near to God. You just see him and you're just like, I want to hug you, Jesus. 
Well, people who made that card haven't read the Bible. <laughs> because if you read the Bible, when you come into the presence of God, you basically fall apart. You basically don't know what to do when you actually see him, right? When Isaiah goes to church, he encounters the last person he thought he would at church. He encounters God. And he falls apart, right? In Isaiah chapter 6, a, a powerful passage of scripture, he goes and he just walks in the temple one day. Like we come into church all the time. Probably thought, okay, here's another day at temple. Going to go through the motions. Great. And all of a sudden, God showed up. And what happened? He said, woe is me, a man of unclean lips. Right? He sees God and he doesn't think, well, I'm awesome. And God's here and we're just together. He sees, he sees how different he is from God, right? Peter in the New Testament says to Jesus, depart from me for I am a sinful man. Right? Because when, when we really see God as he is, <laughs> there will be this sense that we don't measure up. Right? Because when you get closer to the light, you then see how much dirt is on your hands. I remember when I was in high school and I had bad uh, acne, which for a high schooler is just terrible. Um, and I remember that sometimes, you know, when I was getting ready in the morning or something, I would be in the bathroom and um, there was a bathroom that was like all white. And so a bathroom that's all white that has super lights on, it exposes everything, right? You see things you never saw on your face before. And so I would just pop on one of the lights because I didn't want to like see everything, you know? And I assume maybe if I can't see it, then that big thing has gone away and then maybe people won't see it today at school. And right. So if it was just dimmer, if it wasn't truly exposed, then people wouldn't see how like just kind of messed up my face was. See, but in the presence of God, the lights are fully on. And when they're fully on, we see how impure and imperfect we are. Because to come into the presence of God is actually to expose your heart. It's actually to be naked before him. See, what John's talking about here is both the judgment day and personal prayer. He's saying when you come into the presence of God, it's not just God, here's a few prayer requests. Thank you very much. Let me go live my life. It's actually laying your whole life before him and saying, Lord, I have things on my heart for you. And yet I also want to hear from you about my life. I don't just want to pray for my kids. I don't just want to do well on this test. Okay, God is saying, I want a two-way relationship with you. And so to come into God's presence means to lay your life, your entire life. It's life on life. That's what prayer is. It's life on life communication. You're bearing your entire self before him and you've come into his presence. And John says, when that happens, your heart is going to condemn you. This is the beginning of verse 20. If our hearts condemn us, if our hearts condemn us. See, when you are in the presence of God, this is how you know that you've actually approached the presence of a living holy God, your heart will condemn you. It will. It will, because you will see who God is and who you are, and you will think there is such a massive gulf between us. This is what the testimony of people in the scriptures are, that they come into the presence of God and they just, they begin to fall apart. They see in his holiness and his majesty and his perfect excellence, and they look at themselves and they just begin to think, oh my goodness, woe is me, right? And then our heart begins to condemn us. Our heart begins to then speak to us all these things which aren't actually true of us, right? But, but we, can't, we, can't, we can't sit in the condemnation, but for a moment, I, I want us to just for a little bit. Because here's what happens. Our heart condemns us, and this is what our heart will do to us. When we come into the presence of God, whether through prayer or when we're before his presence one day, our heart will often do this. It will say, hey, yeah, you call yourself a Christian. Great job loving your neighbor this week. Great job reading your scriptures this week. 
you call yourself a Christian, right? And we begin to believe all these lies about us. Our heart begins to condemn us, right? And we begin to think about our feelings and our performance in the presence of God. And so what our hearts become restless because we begin to just think of all the ways that we fall short in his presence. And you talk about restlessness. You talk about wrestling with who God is and who we are. See, if our hearts condemn us, we know that we've met the real God. We've seen him as he is. We've beheld him, and we're actually in his presence. But the sermon, the story doesn't end there, right? We do not sit and wait in condemnation. If our hearts condemn us, John says, there is a way to put your heart at rest. There is a way to not sit in condemnation that will come. All of us, I know at different times, we feel guilty, right? We feel like we don't measure up. We feel like we're not enough. We feel like this sin, we still shouldn't be strong. Why do I still struggle with this sin issue? Why do I keep letting my kids down? Why am I doing better at work? Why all these things happen? And then we begin to, you know, do that towards God and just think, well, this must be what God thinks about me. And then it's just this cycle of condemnation in our heart that we can't break free from. And John says, here's how I need you to move from restlessness to rest. The first thing you have to remember is that God is greater than your heart. Verse 20, if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than your heart. What does that mean? It's great news. It means that what God says about you is greater and truer than what you say about you. Because your heart deceives you, even if you're in Christ. Right? God is greater than your heart. He is great. So the answer, John says, is not just to look to your heart, but to look to something outside of your heart, something that's greater than who you are to be wrapped up in, to have truth spoken to you, not just from within, but from outside. Truth that is actually real and, and ultimately and objectively true. John says that, that's how you're going to help put your heart at rest. See, see to, to put your heart at rest is the journey that we're all looking for because our hearts are restless. And so the answer of religion is to do, right? It's to work, right? Yes, your heart is restless. And here's the formula for how you can put your heart at rest. Even though if you're always working and striving and trying to do enough, trying to be a good enough person, trying to be pure enough, how is that actually rest? That sounds very restless to me. And yet every, if you're a religious person or, or you follow another religion, the basic tenet is you must do these things to have a pure heart. If you do this well enough, you can be pure, right? If you fight hard enough, if you, if you fight against this enough, then you will be pure and you will have rest. Even though how can you ever know that you've done enough? How can you know that you've thought rightly enough? How can you know you loved your spouse enough? How can you know you've read the Bible enough or read whatever scripture text enough? How, how can you really know? You can't know because there's no standard. It just says keep doing it. Right? That's what religion says. It says just work, 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 and somehow you can find rest in your work. And the secular answer is no better. It says be who you are. Right? It just says, no, 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 don't worry about work. Don't worry about doing these things, all right? If your heart's upset, if you feel sad, if you feel this way, okay, if you aren't being, you're not being true to who you are. You need to open up and just be, be who whoever made you to be, right? Because you are the miracle right? And if you're not standing on who you are as a miracle, then you aren't going to be free, right? Our culture is obsessed, obsessed with you being who you are and being public about who you are and having everyone know this is who I am, right? Unless you think you're born again and then, okay, you're, you're crazy, right? We just, we don't need you to actually share with us, right? 
the answer of, of people without a God is, is to find something else to make your heart put at rest, whether it's through romance or through sex or through work or through family or through drugs or, or through whatever it is, right? Through working out, um, through, through anything that can somehow put your heart at rest. You can say, I look to this and this is what's going to put my heart at rest. Even though for a while, yeah, that will put your heart at rest, but eventually what will happen to your heart? It'll go restless again. You'll keep hitting a ceiling, because everything that you're actually worshiping is not eternal, it's temporary. Religion says work, that's how you find your heart at rest. Secularism, it just says be who you are, try and find deep within who you are, and then maybe pursue these things that make you happy, and that's how you'll find rest. John says that is not how you find rest, right? To work, John says, no, 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 you need to believe in the work of Christ for you. That's the work you need to lay hold of in your heart. To secularism, John says, it's not about being who you are. It's about being who you are in Christ. This is what John is saying. He says, you have to have something greater than your personal feelings or your heart by which to judge what someone thinks of you, by what God thinks about you. There's something greater than just your feelings. Because how often do those change? How, How fickle is how you feel towards God and towards other people? And John's saying, he is so much greater than your heart. Believe what he says about you. Believe the truth that he says about you. This will begin to put your heart at rest. And you'll stop being restless trying to prove yourself or earn something that you can only get through Jesus. Right? When I do um, weddings, um, I do this every, every kind of message is basically the same. Where I don't, I don't say, hey, guys, just feel the love, right? <laughs> just today, I know you love each other. I know you feel it. You got to keep that feeling going. You got to keep that fire hot because if you don't, things are going to be over, right? right that, that's not what a Christian pastor should ever say, right? Because feelings come and go. And once you feel on your wedding day is hopefully, right, it's just at the top of your game. But eventually a year in, five years in, 20 years in, you're going to maybe feel a little bit differently. And so what, what we say at a wedding ceremony is, hey, What you're basing your love on today, it's not just how you feel, but something greater. It's a covenant. It's a promise. It's a vow you make today. And that is what's going to tether you to each other. That's what's going to bind you together. Not how you feel. Because you know what? Some days you're not going to feel like loving your wife. You're not going to feel like serving this person. You're not going to want to get up early and and do the things that you need to do. You just want to sit in bed and just be lazy. You're not going to feel like, even though you love her, yes, and care about her, sometimes you just don't feel like showing it. And God says, There's a greater standard by which you will be judged, right? There's something else that ties you together. Because if it's just you and her, if it's just you and some other person, that thing can come and go. But if you're swearing by something else, and if you know there's something greater, this can put your heart at rest. Right? Because if if my wife, you know, just, if, if I'm just looking to her based on how she feels, yeah, of course she loves me, but sometimes, right, she's not feeling it. And so if I'm, I can be high or low. If my feeling, if her feelings towards me is really my God, but if I say, you know what, we are working through a hard time right now, or it's in a good time, but the baseline of our relationship is the promise and the covenant that we, we made something greater than just some words. It's based on who God is. Feelings come and go. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, the great thing to remember is that though our feelings come and go, his love for us does not. It is not wearied by our sins or our indifference, and therefore it is quite relentless in its determination that we shall be cured of those sins at whatever cost to us. 
and at whatever cost to him. Not just at whatever cost to you. Not just you trying to will it up, but at great cost, yes, to you and at great cost to him. See, what we need is someone who knows us fully and who still loves us. Verse 20. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Now, at first blush, that should terrify you. (laughs) That should make you very nervous. God knows everything. He knows absolutely everything. He's not surprised. God never from on high says, I can't believe R.D. did that. Holy Spirit, you dropped the ball on that. Where were you? What were you doing? God never looks at your life and says, I can't believe you did that. Why did I save you? I didn't know you were going to go and do that. God is never surprised on the throne. He knows everything about you. And that's scary, but it's also the only thing that will ever liberate us is to be fully known and fully loved because God knows everything about you and he stays. He's permanent, right? We're different than that, right? Uh, just imagine on, on, if you go on dates, if you've been on dates, you know people um, like this. And uh, when I first started dating uh, my wife, you know, the first date was me putting my best foot forward, right? It was, you need to fall in love with the best version of me <laughs> because then you won't leave, <laughs> Because if I'm really honest about some of the stuff that I'm walking through or, or who I am, you're probably going to bail because you're like, R.D., there's a lot going on there, right? And so the first couple of dates are what? They're really fake, okay? I know, I'm sorry. I don't care how great your first date was. It wasn't really real, okay? Because you're just saying, I, I want to put everything forward, right? And so it was just, that's what I did. And so you don't want to like expose really who you are yet because you're afraid they might reject you if they actually knew who you were. I don't mean like they just find out a few things about you. I mean, like, they really begin to see you for who you are and begin to know everything about you. See, our greatest fear is that we'll be discovered and that then someone will leave us, that someone will really know. And so we keep people out. We keep them at a distance, right, especially guys. See, you have two options when that happens in a relationship. You can either bail and say, I don't, he got too close. I think if you knew any more, you'd be out of here. You can leave. You can say, I'm out of here. This is great for a while. I'm out of here. Or you can break through and begin to be vulnerable before the other person and say, I want to invite you in to know me because I trust you. I'm secure with you. You're, you're learning everything about you, but you're still here. And that's beautiful, right? But this is what John is talking about. He knows everything. I'm going to quote from a movie you probably all, all, all know, maybe. Um, it's a great, uh, great film called Aladdin. You know Aladdin? A whole new world. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> that was low. That was my bass. <laughs> I could get going for you. Man, that's a good song. Okay, so Aladdin is um, the story of a guy who's a commoner who falls in love with a princess named Jasmine. But he doesn't disclose who he is because he's afraid if she knows who he is, right, then she won't actually care about him and love him. And so he uses the genie, played by Robin Williams, which is just greatness, and uh, uses him to kind of make him someone else that he's not, right? And uh, they have this little interaction towards the end of the film where uh, the people want to make Aladdin something he's really not. And he's wrestling with being exposed, finally, 
That's what Aladdin says to the genie. He says, they want to make me sultan. No, they want to make me Prince Ali sultan. Without you, genie, I'm just Aladdin. Genie says, ow, you won. You fooled them. Aladdin says, because of you. The only reason anyone thinks I'm worth anything is because of you. What if they find out I'm not really a prince? What if Jasmine finds out? I'd lose her. Jeannie, I can't keep this up anymore. Right, you and I, we can't keep it up either. See, the thing is that we're already exposed before God. He already has found it all out. And yet we know we have security in him because of what he's done. What has he done? 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. There it is. This is how we can be secure. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us so you can be secure in him. He's not leaving you. He knows everything. And through the gospel, he sent his son fully aware of who you were. Not surprised by anything that you've done. He says, I'm still going to go to the cross for you, right? 2,000 years ago, when Jesus was on the cross, he did not just die for your past sins before you became a Christian. And said, okay, I died for all the past ones. Now you deal with the present ones and the future ones. He died for all of your sins, past, present, and future. All of it is covered by his grace. He He had no illusions about you. He knew who you were, right? And so we have to read 1 John in light of the entire chat and lighting the entire book, if we go back to 1 John chapter 2, what I talked about a few weeks ago was this. John writes, my dear children, chapter 2, verse 1, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for our sins, but for the entire Right? We look to Jesus and we say, this is how we know God will never leave us. This is how we know that God will never forsake us. This is, how we, this is how we know. And this is how we can put our hearts at rest because he stayed, knowing fully who we were and who we will be. This is good news, right? This is gospel news. See, we do not have to have our hearts condemn us in the presence of God because Jesus was condemned for us. There is now no condemnation for those of us in Jesus Christ. Amen. There is now no condemnation for those of us who are good people. No. For those of us, right, who, who just feel guilty. No, no, no. For those of us who are working really hard to be the best parents that we can be. No. There is now no condemnation for those of us who are in with, united to Jesus Christ. The condemnation has been removed, and Jesus bears it on himself. He says, I'll take the condemnation. I am the advocate for them before the Father. And now, because, listen to me, because through the sacrifice of Jesus, our hearts are put at rest in front of God, and God's heart towards us is put at rest forever. Because of what Jesus has done, laying down his life for us, our hearts can be put eternally at rest towards God, and God's heart towards us is eternally put at rest. He says, are there no more striving to enter my presence? 
No more having to work at it. No more having to be the best person you think you can be. No more having to, to wallow in the guilt of your past. Move on from that and stand in the truth that there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Do you think the Apostle Paul will be someone who struggled with condemnation issues? He killed Christians. <laughs> you think that the, the enemy, his heart might say, when he's in the presence of God, the enemy might say, hey, yeah, Paul, you're, maybe you write some New Testament books, but you killed Christians. You think you're worthy? You think God cares about you? Look at what you've done. Look at your track record. Look at your biography before you became a Christian. You think there might be some guilt issues, some things he's working through, and yet he can write with full assurance and full conviction, there is now no condemnation for those of us in Christ Jesus because his heart was fully at rest because he moved from death to life by the power of the Spirit. I don't think any of you are worse than Paul. And so there's hope for all of us through Jesus alone who gives us new hearts. Right? There is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ is God saying for all eternity, here's how I feel about you. Here's how I feel. Look, don't look to just your emotions. Don't just look to how you feel towards me. Look to Jesus. Are you going through a, uh, an apathetic time in your, in your faith walk? Are you going through a hard time? Are you going through kind of a winter right now? Don't just look to your feelings to try and manufacture emotion. Keep pressing in. Keep knocking on the door. Keep asking the Holy Spirit to reveal himself to you, and there will be a breakthrough if God wills it. But the true mark of faith is that we keep knocking, even if we don't always feel it, because we know that in his presence we're not condemned we're family. We're family. And when you're family, right, when, when, you, when you really have a father like this, you can finally open up your heart before him. You can be vulnerable because security and trust are the soil in which vulnerability and love grow. And that's why John goes on in 21 and 22 and he says, dear friends, he says, sons and daughters of God, if our hearts do not condemn us, if we moved on, if there's no more condemnation, we have confidence before God, that's great news, and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. Now we're in this relationship that's not just one way, it's both ways. And we have confidence in the presence of God as we're praying, when we're praying, and one day when we're fully in his presence, we have confidence. And now we're asking him of things. We're pleading with him for things, okay? Not for a new boat. Okay, not for a mountain house, okay, that God is not really in the prosperity business, okay? He's in the holiness business. And sometimes that means taking away all your prosperity. So you only praise him. Right, this is what, this is what it's all about, that we would come before him. Yeah, you're going to be convicted of sin. The Holy Spirit is not in the condemnation business. He's in the conviction business. And conviction is a grace of God to move you towards God, not away from God. So you don't have to hide. You don't have to run away and say, God, he's finding things out about me because he already knows everything. And so now we don't run away from Jesus. We run towards him and towards his grace and towards the cross, right? As we sang earlier, it is finished. And our hearts can now be at rest forever because of what Jesus did for us, right? Here, here, here we see it. We have confidence we receive from him. And so now, God, yes, he's chiseling you. He's changing you. He's doing things in your life. I hope he's doing things in your life that are hard, that you're wondering, God, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Why am I walking through this? What's happening here? But we can know, right? We can know 
that God is always for us and doing things for his glory and for our joy and our good. Whatever we're walking through, the Holy Spirit is working in us and changing us and discipling us and speaking truth to us, all right? So the lies that you believe about yourself, get rid of those. Those are not true. You are not a victim in the kingdom of God. You are a son or a daughter, and you stand on that, right? No matter what your past is, no matter what someone did to you, no matter what you do to yourself, you are not even defined by who you say you are. But the Holy Spirit, what God himself says about you is the truest thing in the world. All right, that's the path to freedom. That's how you put your heart at rest. See, without the gospel, we hate ourselves instead of our sin. Without what Jesus has done, we look at all, of our fa- all the ways we've fallen short, all the ways we sin, and we just think, I haven't done enough. I've got to keep doing more. And we just begin to hate ourselves instead of our sin. That's not God's heart for us. Put your heart at rest before him by remembering that if your heart condemns you, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. See, when God calls you before his throne room, when you are in the presence of God, the next time you're praying, wherever you are in your spiritual journey right now, when God, when God calls you and ushers you into your presence and says, I want you to lay naked everything before me, your whole life before me. I already know everything, but I want you to lay it all down before me. And then one day when we're fully in his presence, right? And our hearts begin to condemn us when we see him like Isaiah did. And we want to say, woe to me. I am guilty. I am sinful. When we're finally in his throne room, we can say with the apostle Paul, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? Who then is the one who condemns? Right. (laughs) No one. No one. Christ Jesus, who died, and more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And this word from Genesis to Revelation says, no one. And we can rest in that. Our Father. Our Father, we're thankful that your heart was put at rest because of what Jesus did, because of what you called him to do. And now our hearts can be put at rest when we look to you. It is finished. It is done. You don't have to be restless in your presence anymore. You don't have to wonder, have we done enough? Have we got over the guilt? Have we exercised all of the sins? It's already been done through the blood of Jesus. Father, I pray wherever we are in our journeys, in dry places, in rich places, in valleys and mountains, we would not be governed by our feelings. But we remember that God is greater than how we feel, that you know everything, and you still sent your Son. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, amen.